as I get set and kind of move into the message, I just want to share a couple things with you. And that is, uh, we've talked about how God has led us into some of the North Minneapolis area, specifically 36 and Lindale, which is one of the hot spots where there's been an incredible amount of crime. Um, a couple Saturdays ago, the mayor, the police chief, got the faith leaders who've been involved in this. There's, there's not a lot of churches, but there's a uh, we're one of them that has been involved down there. And they began to share reports of how crime has gone down. Uh, people have been um, giving back guns or they've confiscated guns and, and, and in those areas. And one of the things that was really kind of neat that came out of that was um, there are other cities that are going, what are you doing? And they're starting to look to some of these uh, churches involved in the city with the mayor and the police chief and wanting to know how they can bring that back to their own city. Um, what has been fun to see about this is that before this was called together to deal with this as faith communities by the city, the mayor, etc., God led us into this with two churches, and we started praying together for a year, did nothing, and then started to walk certain areas and pray. And then after we had been kind of prepared by the Lord, he led us into this. And there's just too many people to share that we're a part of bringing this all about. Uh, we then move to this place where we have a team of people that go out and they pray, they f- bring food, they bring games, they do other things in that neighborhood. And then we have a team of people, I'm so grateful, who are in their 70s and 80s in the navigator class that are supporting that in prayer. There is nothing better than prayer and action. And thank you for doing that. And I just want to say one other thing. As we've come through this fall, uh, I just want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, so often, you know, we come through the summer, we, we end of the year, we start coming in the fall, uh, and sometimes we can start falling behind. But I just am grateful for the way that you have generously given so that we can do these ministries. So thank you so much for that and uh, for your commitment to what God is doing here. So now, I would ask Peter Kapsner to come up. And, and for some of you, you don't know Peter, so I'm going to have to share a little bit about who he is and what he's doing and why he's here um, about once a quarter, Peter and I do what I, hom, in homiletics, which is a fancy word in theology for preaching and teaching, uh, we do a dialogic message, conversational, right? Those are big words. They are big words, aren't they? Very big words. Well, I thought I'd use big words because Peter is one of these, really, you're one of the smarter guys that I know. And, and it's Kevin, fun to that have. that is the first time you've ever said that to no, me. I just, no, no, no. Thank you for I, that. No, I said seriously because you're one of the grateful. smarter guys I know and I don't know a lot of people. So, yeah. um, <laughs> whoa. And that's our relationship. Yeah, well, there it is. In a right there in a nutshell. No, I'm really grateful, Peter, because seriously, <laughs> um, you grew up here at YZ Free. You met your wife here at YZ Free through yeah. a program called Sun City, yeah. which I just shout out to all of you. Raise your hand if you were around when Sun City was here and the impact it had on the community. And I just want to say to those of you um, in that generation, thank you. For sure. I thank you. I met my wife there 35 years That's ago. That's exactly she, she right. She was leaning up against the bleachers, braces-filled smile. I, it was all over for me at that point. So, 100%. Yeah. So you should be grateful. I am. Anyway, you, know, you really are smart. You have a PhD from Edinburgh. Wow. South Dakota. No, <laughs> Scotland. I'm sorry. Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> Bought it online. It I told amazing. you we'd yeah. do just a little chit-chat and have yeah, yeah. fun. I didn't tell you what we were going to do, did I? <laughs> yeah, this was not in the notes, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Anyway, okay. Let's, let's go. We've been in the book of Acts. Uh, Luke's gospel, written by Luke. 
also writes Acts. So they go together. They're, they're two works that were funded by a benefactor, as a lot of people believe. And in that first gospel, as he gets to the very end, he quotes Jesus, and Jesus says to them, be witnesses, which is really then the next book about the witness, the leading of the Holy Spirit through the church, the early church. And he says, be witnesses. But then he gives a really, what I call interesting um, uh, assignment, command. He, you know, if you think to say be witnesses, what would be your next thing? His next thing is do nothing. Hmm. And the reason he says do nothing is because he's aware that in our own strength, in our own flesh, in our own wisdom, we can't change hearts. We can't change the structures of our society. We, a work that is supernatural, that's transformative, needs the work of God. Needs the best of our abilities with the best of his abilities. Hmm. He always shows up with the best of his. And we constantly can challenge ourselves to say, how can we be the best in, in, in doing this? So all that kind of, we've come along, we're in chapter 21, and as I was reading chapter 21, and we talked a little bit about it, to me, one of the themes that you see it all throughout is the work of the Holy Spirit. Some scholars call it the Acts of the Apostles. You could easily call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so as you go through that, in chapter 21, what we were singing about in Oceans and some of that stuff is, God, we need you. We need your your spirit to lead us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the leading of the Holy Spirit. So with that, Peter, you um, one of the things I didn't mention about Peter is he does teach at Bethel and Northwestern, is on um, a host at, at, at Faith Radio and other things like that. And, and you often will talk to your students about the Holy Spirit. So give us what your thoughts are around that. Yeah, it's been such an interesting time coming back from COVID. I think, um, I think I underestimated just the disorientation of these last couple of years that we've experienced in our country. Obviously, the global pandemic has been significant in its disorientation. I think a lot of people don't really know how to walk forward uh, in the midst of it still as we're trying to get to the other side of it. Obviously, we have a ton of tension in our country politically, um, socially on a lot of different levels. And then you combine that with what I think is the rapid end of Christendom, and by Christendom I mean the idea that the institutional or the organized church as we have known it, even as I've known it when I was at Sun City all these many years ago, there's some pretty significant changes happening in that, and yet people are no less interested in my classes, my young people, in what it means to follow Jesus. And in that disorientation, it did remind me quite a bit of the book of Acts, I mean, they were terribly disoriented. They didn't know for sure how to walk forward and and where to go and where to put their feet. And we talk often then, and this is what you and I were talking about, Kevin, that I think one of sort of the, the stakes in the ground that we can place right now as we think about how we move forward into this world, especially if we're moving more into sort of minority status as believers in our country, is taking a cue from the book of Acts is what you just said, Kevin. They they followed the lead of the Spirit wherever the Spirit would take them. And one of the ways we get at that in my class is I talk often with my young people uh, and ask the question, uh, so would you say that you are in relationship with ideas about God or are you in relationship with God? Like, What would it be like if God was actually real and if God was actually real, what would it be like if God was actually accessible? 
in how could you learn to follow the voice of the Spirit. And again, yeah. if I was C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien back in the day, I would love to sit in a pub and kick around ideas about God. I think it's really helpful, and, and we need to be thinking about how we think about God. But I love the scriptural witness where it talks about the idea that the psalmist says that where can I go from your presence? If I go into the depths of the earth, you are there. The heights of the heaven, you are there. Or Paul talks about the idea that in God we live and move and have our being. So it's one of those topics. I know you've covered it before. I thought your sermon that you did a year and a half ago or so was brilliant in the sense of how do we access a very real God as we follow him into the unknown, especially in such a destabilized time. So what I loved about that when we were talking about it, and you kind of um, actually brought out more just now in this, and that is I think... One of the problems, not just with students, but with the church, in fact, students get it from their parents if they're churched, is we are really comfortable with ideas about God. Mm-hmm. And I just ask you to think for a second. Is your faith an idea about God? Or is it a living relationship with Jesus that honors the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit within you and all around you? Mm-hmm. That's what we're after as a church. Uh, as we go through this, we're not about weird or wacky, but we're not about safe and con- being in control. We're about living within this realm called the kingdom, where there's an activity of the work of God and there's a real relationship we have. So let's move into this. This passage of scripture has three tensions when we think about the Spirit's leading. And so we're going to look at this first um part of it, and we have to look back at Acts 20, because we need to get the tension, the first tension um, that's going on here. I ask you as we read this to listen to it, maybe you can kind of pick out what that tension is. You want me to read that? Yeah, if you would. You, you know that my eyes are getting bad, Kevin. You've asked can me you, to read Seriously, this. can well, you it's, not it's read getting, it? It's getting close. It's a little fuzzy. Okay. Uh, no, I'll, I'll read it then. Let, let me, but let me, let me try. I'm so much younger than you, so let me try. Um, if, if, if you don't mind, I'll just I'll give it a quick go. Okay? Okay. All right. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Okay, so he says that at one point, when we looked the last few weeks to the church of Ephesus, and he's on his third, um, what I call adventure trip, because living with the Holy Spirit is an adventure where you have the opportunity to do more than just work or be with your friends at school, whatever it is, you have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus and to help them grow in this life with Jesus. So instead of missionary journeys, which Bible scholars call it, think of these as adventure trips. He's on the third one. He's coming back to Jerusalem. He's going to bring an offering to those who are impoverished in Jerusalem. And that's why it says, and compelled by the Spirit. Now let's go on to the next one, because that's chapter 21 where we're at. After we had torn ourselves away, and the, the Greek is this kind of like tearing, I mean, it, this was hard for Paul and others to do. After we torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. And the next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, and we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia and went on board and set sail. So this is condensing it all. Luke is condensing it all. And after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria, and we landed at Tyre, where our ship was unloaded uh, was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there, stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul 
not to go on to Jerusalem. Uh, I think that's the end of that passage. Oh, there's a little bit more. And when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way, all of them, including wives and children, accompanying us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray and saying goodbye to each other. We went aboard the ship, and they returned home. Anybody catch the tension? There's two things. Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. His friends in Acts 21, verse 4, say, through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem, which raises a question I want you to think about. What do you do when you have conflicting or apparently conflicting words, direction around the Spirit's leading? Hmm. So the first tension is on listening to God. And it's Kevin, just to be clear, God. like when that happens with you and me, you just text me and say you're right. Yeah, well, and that's, so that's, that's yeah, basically, in all humility, I do that. I don't do that out of pride. <laughs> right, um, right. No. So, so in those two tensions, um, the first thing I, I think we want to make clear again is, and again in the church, we have ideas about God. The other part of it is we, we don't really understand that we can listen. We can hear mm-hmm. God. And, and, and a lot of us can live with an idea about God that really gets translated as Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And, and it's only through the Bible you can hear God. Yes, I think it is the best way to hear God, although people can hear what they want to hear out of the Bible as well. What I think is interesting is that God can use any different way to speak to us. And so that means we've got to talk about what are some reliable means in which he does. One of the ways that God can speak to us, I'm using words, right? So if I'm going to convey a message to you, I can't share with you what's in my heart. I can make all kinds of faces and maybe pantomime something, but you'll be guessing often. But if I use words, you get the message. God, through the Holy Spirit, has the ability to impress on your thoughts his thoughts. Hmm. Now you got to say, when people, friends, are saying, through the Spirit, I'm urging you, and then you're feeling compelled, how do you, how do you answer? What are some reliable means that you would talk about yeah, and, and obviously we're going to talk in a little bit about the idea that it can get wacky, and we've got to be careful. We don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. But at the same time, these are not biblical words, but these are words that theologians throughout history would use to try to describe the what Paul is describing here about being compelled by the Spirit. And, and I think as we talk about this, probably all of you in your prayer lives at certain times have felt that sense of compelling or that sense of urgency, that urging of the Spirit. And some of the, the theological terms used historically would be um, discerning whether you're experiencing sort of consolation of the Spirit on one hand, which means as you start putting your feet that direction, as you start thinking or imagining going that direction, if you, if you start um, even talking with other people about that direction you want to go, your Spirit feels at peace. It's not stirred up, but you seem compelled to walk in those ways, maybe a bit urgent at times to go that direction, but there's a sense of peace about taking those steps. Uh, the, this is what it means to follow the voice of the shepherd, right? Jesus in John 10.10 10 says that my sheep know my voice, and, and they are able to follow the voice of the shepherd amidst all the voices of this world. And when there's that sense of peace that comes as you are going a certain direction into the unknown, again, theologians would call that consolation or a sense of I, that's the right way to go. On the flip side, there's something called desolation. Again, not biblical ter- terms, just theological ones, where your spirit feels at disease about something. Uh, you feel like, oh gosh, every step is like walking in, in liquid concrete or molasses, and you just can't go that direction. You're stirred up, you're anxious, you can't sleep at night, you're confused. 
Uh, and so these are some of the ways, again, when we talk about reliable means. We're not talking about the same authority as Scripture nope. uh, or some of those things. But we are talking about there's a long tradition within the church about how you can reliably begin to interpret God's so, voice. So an issue like, should you go to Jerusalem or not? You don't turn to the Bible and go, well, what verse was that? Yeah, I didn't find Hallie's, my, my wife's yeah, name right. in the so, scripture. is like, should I marry Hallie? I went yeah. to like Ephesians 13. So says, there are ways we, we make it really clear. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Um, the Bible, it does not contradict the word of God. Right. It's not, we're not talking about non, about moral kind of situations and things like that. We're not talking about commands like around marriage or things like that, you know, that would apply to, you know, can I just, you know, sleep with any person I want to. That and we're talking right. about things that are within the Word of God. We know what that is, and then there is through prayer you begin to listen to God. You also take in your friends who here it says through the Spirit is leading them. But Paul uses the word compelled, which has that sense of consolation, desolation. You just it talked does. about. So I thought I did a podcast uh, about a year ago with um, Garrett, who is leading worship with Garrett and his wife Allison. And here's one of these examples. Allison, are you, you're here. Oh, good. Um, and I was going to ask Allison if you would kind of share, because you guys uh, were led to go to Africa. And I thought, that's great. That's fine. And it just seemed to getting longer and longer. And also we find you're pregnant. Now you're eight months pregnant and you are ready to go. And I'm thinking you're a crazy woman, right? Because you're going to go eight months pregnant. I can't imagine most women after about five or six saying, I want to have another doctor or anything. So tell us a little bit about that experience. Um, well, yeah, it just... Even knowing that I was going to come up, like everything that you guys are saying just reminded me of that journey of getting there. Hmm. And I feel like it, it started with Garrett and I knowing that the Lord was calling us to South Africa and praying about the timing, asking for the Lord to give us his timing. And um, we had three children, and, um, and it was after having those three children that I felt the Lord giving me a lot of peace about having a baby in Africa. And I wasn't pregnant yet, but I started to have a lot of peace about it. And um, as we had started making our plans to go, I found out I was pregnant, and I just knew this baby's going to be born in Africa. And um, like previously with my other pregnancies, I mean, that, that would not have been an option for me. Like, I, I had a lot of fear about it. But, um, but yeah, just God's timing and giving me peace about it, um, becoming pregnant, and then knowing we're still, we're still going to go. And I think that was something that we thought about was, do we postpone? Do we wait until after the baby's born? A lot of people had asked us that, like, what's the rush? Why not wait? And um, and we just started to, to pray about it. And as we prayed, we felt like it would be disobedient for us to stay here. And we truly felt like um, going, taking that step of faith to go to Africa before we had our fourth child um, was really um, walking in obedience of the Lord. And through that, him giving us a lot of peace and actually a lot of excitement about it. And, um, you know, you can think about all the things, you know, sickness, doctors, you know, all yeah. of those things. A lot of good friends through the spirit were saying, don't go. Don't go. Right. Yeah. But it was like we had like all of those were it was just like washed away. All those fears were washed away because we knew that that's what we were supposed to do. And so the God is leading you there. Tell about the result of having that baby there. Yeah. So when we arrived and I was of course very pregnant, people were going, Oh, well obviously you're going back to America to have your baby. And we would say, no, we're, we're going to have the baby right here in South Africa. Immediately like guards were down. They're embracing us. They're so excited for us. And, um, and I think it instantly opened up doors for us in ministry that we wouldn't have had otherwise because they were like, you're comfortable here, you're family. And, um, and that was another thing that the Lord had spoken to us was 
that we would be a family serving families. And so instantly we were accepted. We had our baby girl two months later. It was our best birthing experience, our best, um, you know, like delivery. And, um, and I'm just, I'm so thankful again, like all the fears washed away and clearly the Lord just, um, continued in his faithfulness to show us like each step of the way, each step of faith, like his plans for us and his plans for our family were so much better than anything we could have decided on our own. Yeah. So that was cool because then you're in an orphan community. They all took that baby as if it's their own. And that was so cool how God worked that. I'm going to put this somewhere here. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, so thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about the the next tension. And I want you to keep in mind. There's in these tensions will kind of unveil some things. Like it's not every time God compels you to something, it's easy. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit about that. So let's talk about the next one, and that's in Acts twenty one seven through eleven. It says we continued in our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. If you go back to Acts 8, that's where Philip, he was one of the seven deacons, servants in this time when there was, um, between the Hellenistic Jews and those who lived in Palestine, there was just trouble. They had to work that out. So as one of the sevens, he, he was there, and then he went out as an evangelist. And it's an incredible ministry. It talks in Acts 8. But it says one of the seven, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So we're going to get to this next one now. If listening to God is part of the leading of the Spirit, then they're speaking forth God. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, wait a second. That gets a little weird and wacky. And I want to go, yeah, but I don't want to be safe and in control. I want the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet, okay, prophecy prophet that's speaking forth, uh, named Agabus came down from Judea. We read about him earlier in Acts, um, coming over to us. In fact, we were doing that message on that one when, when we, we were, went, yeah, Indeed. a while back. Anyway, uh, <laughs> coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied it his own hands, feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, he's here again, the Holy Spirit leading God, he says, um, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, and we'll hand them over to the Gentiles. Um, so what I want to say is there is a difference when we think of prophecy. Prophecy is a word that's used quite often in Corinth. In fact, he talks about it being an important gift to the church. And I, I, some will say it's just the teaching of the church. I, I differ on that. Um, some will say it's about foretelling. Mm-hmm. I believe it's forthtelling. And what I think, um, just to give you a, a one definition of that, it's, um, it's, it's found here. Okay. It's a, there's a particularity about prophecy. Prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. It is a particular word inspired by God given to a particular person or group of persons on a, uh, at a particular moment for a particular purpose. So it'd be as if you are, you know, praying one day and all of a sudden you, comes to mind, I, you know, Peter comes to mind and I go, boy, I just, I, I want to encourage him. You write a note and then mm-hmm. Peter gets this and you don't have any idea, but Peter gets it and he goes, wow. I mean, that was so encouraging. It was like God speaking to me. Now it's not on level. We're not saying it's on level with the word of God, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we know that God can use us to speak into other people's lives. And some do it more regularly than others. In their toolbox of gifts, one of the ones that they take off 
often maybe more so in their life is prophecy. Just like a person can be can evangelize and share the faith and be an evangelist, so also in the same way you can speak forth the word. And 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 so that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. I I don't want to go. Hold on. Do you want to say anything about it? And I'm well, going to put that slide up there. So yeah, people can I mean, look at I, that. I think sometimes those flashes of insight that you re, that you receive about something, or or just that impression about something on behalf of another person. Again, we talk about that you need to test the spirits; it needs to be done with humility and everything. But just as a quick example, I know last night my wife and I were sitting out for dinner at our favorite little cafe in Excelsior and debriefing about some things. We just dropped our daughter off in Edinburgh to do her study there, so now yep. she's an ocean apart yep. from us, and that's a little dodgy. And, and what did you do when she went there? You took the kids where <laughs> Disney World. Yeah. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Me and Mickey took good yeah, care of the place. three kids. Anyway, okay. Uh, but the, the point is, just as we were talking back and forth and, and knowing that God is stirring some stuff up, just in that conversation, there were flashes of insight that were occurring between the two of us that just gave some clarity to the moment. Now, we don't know where it all goes from here, but there's a sense in which I at least know what the next step is along right. the way. So in Corinth, um, he'll talk about um, the word prophecy is the idea. It's not the point like you know, like bad you this that. It's not that. That's what we get from like an Old Testament kind of thing. Um, even in the Old Testament, most of the words were to build up and to encourage and to strengthen the people of God. Hmm. So that there's a message I did. So I don't want to spend much more time on it. But in our podcast, or you can go to our website back in. That's really small. <laughs> January 26, 2020. Yeah. And it's just called Speaking Forth. I want to give you a homework assignment. I think it would be something well worth getting some more information on so that we stay within the kingdom of God and not on these two different sides. Let me just make a point here because one of the problems about speaking forth the word of God is in the areas of where you go past your boundaries of what really God is saying. And, and that's one of the things that is kind of occurring here. So I always tell people on prophecy is one is pray. If you feel like God's giving you a word, it doesn't mean it needs to be shared. Mm-hmm. You need to pray about it. And it may be that God is just calling you to pray for that person. And another thing you need to do is wait. I was given a word when, my, when Grace was diagnosed with MS down at um, Mayo Clinic. I, I had someone come and give me a word. I didn't, it made, made no sense to me, but it gave me a sense of hope. And I didn't do much with that word for 20 years before God revealed it. When I was sitting in a doctor's office around the MS stuff with grace, I've shared that some, that story I think a while ago, but I'm not going to go more into that. But God will sometimes just say, pray about it. You don't have to share it. He may ask you to wait on it. Because God, we want to try and put our own meaning on it. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the other one is, um, I think God often will just call us to, um, to be really careful in, in, as we give something um, because we have this tendency to editorialize. Do you want to just even share briefly about just how... Maybe well, I think that's, yeah, that. and, and I appreciate that story, Kevin. Just going back quickly to that sermon, too. I, I, I listened to the sermon you gave on the 26th of, of January 2020 when you gave it, and I remember how instrumental it was and how helpful and what I felt like was a responsible look at the role of the Spirit in our lives. I listened to it again this week. Same thing. If you didn't catch that message, just highly recommend going back and listening to that. It's It's uh, been terribly helpful. And 
But in light of what you're saying, there can be a tension, right, between um, is this really a word or is it not? But just to be, <laughs> whenever somebody comes up to me and says, I have a word of the Lord for you, Peter, am I like, yeah, I probably like, got a word for, thus the, Lord says for you. the Lord. Yeah. You know, it's probably not the same word, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. So I, I do have an inherent skepticism or cynicism um, about that. But at the same time, when it's with a trusted friend, when it's recognized that we're in the shadowlands, we see through a glass darkly, um, that we just wonder about these things together and share with humility, I think yeah. at that point, you move past the worry of editorializing and you just are really trying to hope for discerning what God's voice is on behalf so of the future. So when you look at Thessalonians and you look at, I think it's chapter five, whatever, and he starts and he, you know, rejoice and pray continually and he then goes right in and says, don't quench the Spirit's fire. And then he gives, he says, but test every of these words. He basically says, don't throw prophecy out to this young church because I think it got wacky and weird. Mm-hmm. And I think it don't go there. What you need to do is test it. And the word he uses is this. So like when someone says, thus saith the Lord, I get really nervous. Oh, me too. But if someone says to me, I, you know, I just sense, and here's what I'm sensing. What I find to be true, and the word that in Thessalonians that he uses is this idea of, of a coin. that They would get a coin to know whether it was genuine or not. They would throw it down, and it would either have a shrill or a dull ring. If it was the right ring, it, they called it, it rang true. There's often this sense when a word is given, there's kind of, you'll resonate with it. Mm-hmm. And often the community around you of believers that you take in, which is a very important part when it comes to things like this, it will ring true with them. So those are just some thoughts. One thing that I think can happen, uh, as I had opportunities where God has given me words from time to time, and that is, um, when he gives a prophetic word, be really careful not to put your own um, picture on it. Don't editorialize. That's what's happening in this passage of Scripture. That's where some of the tension is. So let's move to the last point. So we're listening. We're speaking forth. The listening is how do you know when you have counter voices compelled by the Spirit, through the Spirit, Speaking forth, how do you know you don't go across the boundaries of when God is giving you a word if you're in that middle place? And then the third one is what I call following the Lord. What does it look like? And and the tension as we look at this is easy versus hard. Okay? So let's read this in 21, 12 through 17. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm not... I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Hmm. So what you have here is this tension between Paul saying go and his friends saying don't go. And they actually have words where they begin to editorialize is this. Because you're going to die or you're going to be bound, you're going to be all these other things. Paul, don't go. That is not what the word said. Paul, uh, God was just saying, know that when you go, this is going to happen. And one thing that's really, um, we don't have time to go into here, I wish we could. Luke is trying to give a parallel between when Jesus, when it says he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem and suffered, he's giving a picture of Paul like another Christ, another Jesus filled with the Spirit going to Jerusalem because Paul, in a sense, set his face like flint to go. Now, here's the tension. In the Christian faith, I want easy. Mm -hmm. I think we all want easy. 
If you read this, Luke, who was traveling with him, if you read what he has to say, it says, when we heard this and we, the people, because these we sections where Luke is with them, so Luke was actually there. Can you imagine, you know, we're really good friends. Can you imagine I feel compelled in God's leading and then you start saying, don't go? Right. How much harder that is? Right. Let's talk a little bit about easy versus hard. I mean, you have to have... Your viewpoint is you look at students, you look at things happening yeah. even in our world. I think Christianity has been on the path for years of if you follow God, you'll get blessed. Yeah, well, I think that's exactly right, Kevin. If, if, if there's any one thing that underpins any of what we talk about in the classrooms that I teach is that um, it, it is wholly unbiblical to be living by the phrase, you can be whatever you want to be. Now that that is an American phrase, but it's, American it's, holy, dream, it, it's, isn't it? It, it's wholly unbiblical. There's nothing in the scriptures that says that. And in fact, the scripture says things like this, that your life is not your own. It's been bought with a price. It says that in this world, you will have trouble. And, and I think one of the great um, reasons why we have such an epidemic of doubt about God in our country and among at least my young people is the belief of what you just said, that if we follow God into the unknown, then our life is going to be blessed in some sort of way. And then when our life doesn't turn out the way that we think it should, then we don't think God is faithful anymore. Well, and look at a whole generation coming up right now going, the whole church was supposedly following God from the boomers, et cetera. And, right. and look where we're at. No, they're, they're, for they're sure. going Blessing doesn't seem to follow. It, do, it doesn't seem to follow. And, and, and Jesus says those. So in these wor- or in this world, you will have trouble. It's not that you might. It's not that you could. You will have trouble. And then he says, but take care of overcome this world. And if I was starting a family today, if I was a grandparent of young kids, in terms of how I would shepherd them into the future, I, I would not tell them, You're, you can be whatever you want to be. I would, um, we would be talking about things like, you know, the world is, um, it's a difficult place. Uh, and it is, there is light and there is darkness and there's trouble and there's travail. But there is one voice of the shepherd who, uh, in, in the, the 23rd Psalm, it says that the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need for wholeness or I shall not want. Meaning that in the midst of the travail that is this broken world, I can actually experience wholeness. So I think one more piece about this, Kevin, I, I laugh with my students often. I say, I know you guys don't know anything about the Old Testament other than maybe Genesis you know, 1 or something, but what's one verse you might know from the Old Testament? And, it, and it's so revealing, and it happens in every single class, and they all say, Jeremiah 29, 11, <laughs> right? Which, why, why it's is It's a graduation verse, verse. It is. It's the super God breathed verse from the Old Testament. I get it. And, and it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It plans to prosper you. And, and they think that prosper in this passage means that after their boyfriend broke up with them or girlfriend broke up with them or they didn't get the job, but that's okay. I'll just tape that verse on my steering wheel. God has a plan for me. It's going to get better. And I try to encourage him and say, but in the Hebrew language of that scripture, the word prosper is um, just simply wholeness. And it's being given to a community of people who are experiencing the profound absence of exile. And they never actually experience earthly blessings. And what God is saying is, just know this, I can be the fullness of your wholeness in the midst of the absence that is this world. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but yep. take care of overcome the world. So saying yes to following Jesus is signing up for a lifetime maybe of misunderstanding, of discomfort. And I think even the last piece, Kevin, quickly, I was thinking about this morning just in light of this, just as a sort of a challenge to myself, so I wasn't just like speaking out this way. It's like, you know what, Capsner, why don't you ask God to reveal one way in which you're following because it's about your comfort? Hmm. Now, that's a silly (laughs) 
prepared to ask because he might just show up. And, uh, and so that's, that's just been a really, um, accessible discipline for me is like, just reveal the idolatry, reveal, reveal the way I'm following that's about my comfort. Yeah. Well, so as we press into this, I, I, I want to say there are many different ways that you will experience trouble, but one of the things is true. And anybody in relationship to another person here, just raise your hand if you're in relationship. If you're not, I'm really, we'll pray for you. <laughs> the reason I ask that is forgiveness and reconciliation is hardly ever easy. Yeah. Jesus comes from the Father. The Father loves you. You may not realize it. He loves you so very much. You may feel distant from him, but the reason he came to the cross was that he would take your sin and that distance and he would bring himself into your presence right now and tell you, I love you. And all he wants you to do is admit your need of him and your sin and, and invite him in. And I encourage you to do that. We're going to go to a moment of prayer here where we're going to just sing a song. And what your step may be, Jesus, would you enter in my life and forgive me? But what I want you to know is this. For Jesus to do that, it wasn't easy. If you're having a marriage difficulty, forgiveness and reconciliation, it may not be easy. If you're out of sorts with a family member, it may not be easy. It will mean falling your pride. It will mean pain. Some of you are here right now and you feel the pain of your own brokenness. You feel the pain of a broken relationship. And God might be saying, you know what? You may need to take a step into that. And you're going, but I don't want to. And he'd be saying, yeah, the very first step that will change your life is to forgive. That's not about them, that's about you. It's the gift that you get to give through God to yourself. Now, I encourage you to have others wise around you because if it's a person who is abusive or hurting you or whatever, you need boundaries. But I want to share with you the steps towards both forgiveness and then into reconciliation is anything but easy. And Paul was talking to a whole bunch of his friends who were saying, but don't go there. The spirit, you know, they through the spirit, through the spirit. The spirit was calling him. To, they were. He, the spirit was giving him a lot of information. Yeah, Paul's going there, and he's gonna. He needs your prayers because it won't be easy. Mm-hmm. So I've asked Garrett to come. Well, I didn't really ask Garrett. Garrett, thank you, Garrett. Where are you, <laughs> Garrett? Um, we had Tyler leading today. So Taylor, our normal guy, is gone. Tyler was going to lead, who grew up through our church here and is is now leading worship. And then he got sick, and so Garrett stepped in this morning. So Garrett, thank you. But we're going to sing a song step by step. And um, it's really funny. I was... Uh, talk about leading the spirit. I was up with the worship team. We're kind of planning this service a couple weeks back. And, and I said, you know, I, we had a song at the end. I said, no, I think it should be something different. And the first song that came to me was a song step by step. And then we kind of looked for some others and then that came back to me. And I said, I think we should do this. And even though the team didn't know it, we're going to still do it. And then I share with you yesterday. What did you tell me? Yeah, this song has been so meaningful in the journey of our family into the unknown. And, and, and when you think about, 
this moment in time, we're at this threshold moment where, where our wholeness is not going to come as a church at the end of the pandemic or the restoration of large church establishments or, or peace in the political sphere of Washington, D.C. Our wholeness is continuing to just simply walking step by step in the unknown, willing to follow Jesus in that. And um, and for our family over the years, whenever, I'm sure as many of you have faced significant moments of change and maybe going into the unknown in ways that you don't know what to expect, this has been actually our family song that we've sang that uh, my wife Hallie and I and our five kids will huddle in different spaces and just recognize the fear that that happens walking into the unknown towards something as you're following Jesus' voice by the power of his spirit towards something in his kingdom. This uh, ironic, this is just amazing that this is the song that is a family over these 21 years that we've had it's children God's and we've sang it every you threshold he moment, loves so. you. And, yeah, I'm going to ask does. you to stand. I want you to listen as Garrett sings it the first time as a prayer Begin in your heart. If God's been calling you to a step, to really consider what that step is and commit to do that, maybe do it in prayer to him as he's singing, and then let's just sing it together as a prayer as a church.